This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon Makuku Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 195 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a fairy tale from the western islands of Ireland. This is the tale of the Three Crowns. But before we get down to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners if you're a brand new listener listen to this episode see what you think and if you like it why don't you head back along the journey over the last nearly four years of fireside to see what we've been building to on our journey through folklore and mythology and if you're a returning listener as always thank you so much for your continued support all the usual ways you can support the podcast if you want to do so in any extra way. You can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bar. You can share the podcast on your stories. You can share it with your friends. Let people know what you're listening to. Those always help and they continue to help the podcast grow. If you want to support me in a more direct way, you can, uh, even more than listening, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, my neo-myth of home, my book of poetry, combining the folklore history and religion of Ireland through lens of growing up in County Wicklow on the East Coast, written between the East Coast of Ireland and the West Coast of California. Um, That is available in paperback on headstuff.org and in Kindle version on Amazon and all of the links are in the description below to that. Um, I want to say a big thank you to anyone who came along to the launch. We had the launch of Garden Sea last week um, upstairs in the Wicklow Town Library in the brand new space in the beautiful upstairs of the Wicklow Library and it was a fantastic evening. It was great to see so many people there, so many people buying the book and especially just for me to get to read out the poems to an audience in a live way for the very first time. I shared a few of the pieces on on Instagram, but uh, I've never read it out in front of an audience. And it was brilliant to talk about the book and talk about where it came from and the individual poems themselves. And it was a great crowd. I was delighted and it seemed to really go down well with everyone and everyone enjoyed it. So thank you so much to each and every one of those who came especially I want to give a special shout out to uh, Christopher Suarez and Jessica who uh, had come all the way over from Oregon and they had they just were traveling around Ireland they had spent two weeks in Ireland and they just happened to be near Wicklow on the night of the launch and they're big they're big fans of the podcast um, have listened to it a huge amount for a long time and 
it was incredible to meet them and I was so delighted that they were there because the launch was in my hometown and so mostly the the people who were there was a local crowd um, a few people had come over, my, my girlfriend and one of my best friends had travelled over from the UK um, um, and a few people had come down from Dublin and further afield but it was unbelievable to have someone over from the US especially people who had l- listened to the podcast and um, seemed to really appreciate the work uh, that I've been doing on it so this, this episode is dedicated to Christopher and Jessica it was great to meet you, thank you again for coming along I hope you enjoy the book and uh, it was it was a great moment and those kind of moments really give me another push to keep going with Fireside so I appreciated that so so much um, and also aside from the book you can of course uh, join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month although you can pay more if you want you can gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network all the links are in the description below and that is all the hard sells out of the way I'm recording this from Wicklow, and this will be the last, probably the last podcast, no, the second last podcast I'll be recording before I hit the road again. Um, Tomorrow I start rehearsals for a short tour of New Zealand. I'll be in New Zealand for the next month, just leading up to Christmas uh, with the world of musicals again. Um, Looking forward to seeing another beautiful country. I've been wanting to go to New Zealand ever since I first watched Lord of the Rings at the age of 10 or 11. Um, And I can't wait to go there, especially since I haven't been to spend so much time in Australia and being so far on that other side of the world, but never making it all the way over to New Zealand. Um, And this is the final part of all of the COVID reschedulings of World of Musicals since 2020. We were meant to be in New Zealand and Australia in 2020. And now to be there finally at the end of 2022, uh, it feels we're finally back to scratch um, with the the COVID reschedulings. Um, So really looking forward to that. Um, So this will be the second last. I'll probably record one, another episode down in rehearsals then. And then we'll be taking the podcast on the road once again. But the, the Fireside will still be here every week. I'll be bringing all my gear with me as always and traveling around. So we'll see what New Zealand, what kind of influence New Zealand will bring on the podcast. But the episode for this week. So leading up to episode 200, I said recently that I'm going to focus on just a few more folk tales until 200 and then we'll see what we'll do from there as we try and find uh, a folklore mythology alternation week to week like we usually do on the podcast but uh, there's been a lot of specifically um tales of faradharags and chloricons and solitary fairy tales over the last few days or a few weeks and um, so in an effort to kind of refine the balance again i've i've tried to find folk tales that fit more into the mythological or legendary vein and this this story really had that feeling of a very European, almost grim tale with its archetypes and stock characters. Really interesting story. Get kind of Guillermo del Toro in Ireland vibes a little bit, as you may see. Um, and I'll be interested to see what, what your thoughts are, all of you, on it and um, what you think of it. And we'll chat, of course, more afterwards. But this is the tale of the Three Crowns on Fireside. <laughs> The Three Crowns There was once a king with three daughters. The king himself was inconsiderate, selfish, and cruel, and his two elder daughters took after their father. But the youngest daughter was the outlier, the black sheep, 
and she unexpectedly grew up generous, thoughtful, and kind. Three princes came visiting from a neighboring kingdom, and each of the three matched the king's daughters in manner and temperament. The two elder boys were mean and arrogant, and the younger was humble and loyal. So it all worked out quite well, in that two selfish boys betrothed two selfish girls, and two sweet younger souls fell in love with one who would give the other their heart completely. The king, his three daughters, and their prospective husbands all went on a walk to a nearby lake. On the way, the party came across a beggar lying by a broken brick wall. The vagrant asked each of the royals for anything that they could spare. The king and both elder princes and princesses each refused to help the soul in need. They stepped over him with malice and greed, laughing as they did so at the very idea of them having to bail out the poor. But the youngest daughter and her beau took pity and gave the beggar a gold bracelet the princess had on. The man thanked the princess for her kindness before the young girl and boy ran to catch up with the rest of their family. At the edge of the lake, there was a long white canoe, with the beautiful handcrafted spirals on each end and a large oil lamp hanging from its bow. That boat was tied to a wooden dock by a long silver chain. I would like to sail this boat, said the eldest daughter. I agree, said the middle child. After all, we are chieftains of this kingdom and this boat is on our lands. But the youngest daughter was hesitant. We shouldn't take what does not belong to us, especially when we already have so much. Plus, from the markings on this boat, I fear that it may be under enchantment. Nonsense, said the older sisters, and as frequently happens, the elder siblings convinced their youngest and the three daughters began to climb aboard the boat. But just before their father, the king, could join them, a seven-inch tall man jumped in his way. Halt, said Seven Inches. The three princes each tried to draw their swords, but not one could lift blade from scabbard. They were all kitten-pawed, seemingly having been drained of all their strength by this tiny enchanter. Having incapacitated the princes, Seven Inches said to the king, Say goodbye to your daughters, and all for your lack of charity, a charity that you've passed on to them, and that they now value in a husband. But you, he said, turning to the youngest daughter, you have nothing to fear, and your true love will find you and you will love happily, as it is possible to live in a mortal life. The king and the three lovers all were powerless to watch seven inches loosen the silver chain and sail the boat away with the three princesses. On the other side of the lake, they could see the tiny man guide the three daughters to a well. They each sat in a large basket, attached to a silk rope and a steel winch. Only when the third and youngest daughter was out of sight were the three brothers able to move and recover their strength once more. As fast as they could run across the lake to the well, let me go and I will save them all, said the youngest suitor. No, I will be the one to save the day, said the middle brother. No, I am the eldest. I must save my own beloved. The younger siblings gave way and the elder brother descended in the basket down the well shaft. 
The others lowered him down until he had descended into darkness and had totally disappeared from view, and they could no longer hear his voice. A whole evening went by, and there was no sight or sound of the eldest brother. So the middle suitor descended next, and soon he was not heard from either. So finally, the youngest, bravest, and most stout-hearted brother lowered himself down into the well. Further and further down he went, through a darkness unlike any he had ever known, until eventually he began to hear the sound of water, but also the sound of wind, and birdsong, and most of all, light. The well shaft came out at the other end into a reverse world, a huge open forest surrounding a big battlemented castle. The boy was astonished. I have surely descended into the world of the gods, he thought to himself. This is surely Tirnan Oak. The brother made his way to the castle and invited himself in. In the main chamber he found a massive, full and piping hot feast. The journey so far had been long and the prince had not eaten since his beloved had been kidnapped. Nevertheless, he did not touch food that did not belong to him. Soon the prince was greeted by seven inches. Why did you not eat your fill? he asked the suitor. Because I did not have the permission of my host, said the prince. That did not stop your brothers from eating what they liked. Seven inches pointed to the two statues the prince realized were his own brothers, frozen in the horror of their own greed. Your graciousness and honesty has saved you from such a fate said Seven Inches, before bringing in the younger princess. The two young lovers were reunited in the endorphin explosion of each other's arms. The little man went on, If you want to save the other two princesses, you'll have to save them from the castles of two giants, although I'd understand why you wouldn't want to. The young prince was a man of his word and he went to rescue each of his true love's sisters, regardless of how they had treated him or others. When the prince returned with the two elder princesses, they were each delighted to be welcomed back by their younger sibling, until they saw the stone statues of their own respective suitors. As the princesses cried on the granite, seven inches came in, tapped the statues with his hazel wand, and the stone was made flesh and blood once more. All three couples were reunited, and the banquet at Seven Inches Castle began. After the feast, the enchanter brought the three couples into his treasure room, full of gold and diamonds. He gave to each princess three crowns. A golden crown resting on a silver crown inside a copper crown. A trinity of crowns for each daughter, and a warning from Seven Inches. Be sure to be married hastily to these young men, and to be married on the same day, with each of you wearing these three crowns. If you don't, you will suffer nothing but misfortune. Now away with you, back to your own world. The three couples began the journey back to the well. On the walk, the youngest princess said to her beloved, I do not trust your older brothers. They will not want it known how you saved us all, and they do not have your best interests at heart. So the youngest prince helped the two elder daughters and his own true love into the basket and back up the well shaft they went. 
Then his two elder brothers went ahead of him. But when it was finally time for the young prince to go up, instead he placed a large heavy rock in the basket. He raised the rock up and it soon came crashing down, smashing the silk rope, winch and basket. There was now no way for the young prince to join his beloved, but he still had her three crowns. And as long as his brothers were noble, they would not marry without accordance to the warnings of Seven Inches. Speaking of, the prince returned to the castle, but could not find its host. He looked all over before returning to the treasure room. The prince saw a snuff box that had not been there the last time. His young curiosity enticed him to look inside, and there, inside the snuff box, was Seven Inches. Are you sick and tired of my home already, he said to the prince. If I had your company and that of my own true love, I could never tire of this place. Well, keep this snuff box with you and open it whenever you need me. You'll lead yourself back to your fair princess soon. The prince took the snuff box and left the castle in search of a new way home. He came across an old blacksmith struggling at the forge. The kind-hearted prince could not but help to lend a hand with the bellows and hammer and tongs. You're a dab hand at that. Are you an apprentice smith? said the smith. The prince was in well-worn rags from all of his travels and was unrecognizable as royalty. The prince stayed working with the smith until a sprightly and gossipy tailor showed up. The tailor told word of two princesses who refused to be married until their little sister was ready to be married the same day as them. All three had found suitors, but something had happened to the youngest. When the two bridegrooms demanded the wedding still go ahead, regardless of whether the youngest had a husband or not. Three magnificent crowns the princesses each wore on their head. A crown of gold, on a crown of silver, in a crown of copper. And on their walk down the aisle, the elder princes had fallen through the floor of the church down to where the dead and the coffins lay. And the great white dresses of the brides were all turned to cobweb and mould. The wedding was cursed, the tailor told the smith and the disguised young prince. And the king has refused to let any of his daughters marry until they all marry together. So the king has promised the hand in marriage of his youngest daughter to anyone who can produce for her the three crowns of gold, silver and copper. Imagine the glory of that, mused the blacksmith. I am very happily married, but the craftsman who produced such a crown for the princess would never need to work another day in his life. But I have seen those triple crowns, and I do not know a craftsman alive who could recreate one. I can, said the prince, who still had the three crowns safely stowed beneath his cloak. I propose an arrangement, and a plan was formed. The next day the blacksmith rode to the palace of the king with the actual three crowns of seven inches. He showed the work to the king and it was undeniable the crowns matched those of his elder daughters. So the king asked his youngest, would you marry the one who made these crowns? Let me see them, the girl asked. And when she saw, the princess knew, her own true love had sent the crowns. 
The smith said it had been his own apprentice who made the crowns. So the king sent his eldest daughter's fiancé in a carriage to fetch his new future son-in-law. The elder prince did not recognize his own brother for his tattered clothes and soot-blackened face. I am here to pick you up and bring you to the castle, but I pity the princess who has to marry you. From the back of the carriage, the young prince opened up the snuff box and asked Seven Inches, I wish that I was back in my workshop and that heavy stones were put in my place. A moment later, he was back in his workshop, and the horses who pulled the carriage were suddenly working a lot harder from the weight of the stones inside. When the king went to open the carriage door on arrival, he was nearly crushed to death by the avalanche of rocks. The king then sent the middle brother to fetch the apprentice smith, and he was also rude to his unrecognized youngest sibling. And when they returned, a mudslide greeted the king at the door of the carriage. Furious with his two elder future son-in-laws, the king decided no fox ever had a better messenger than himself, and went personally to fetch the young smith. As the youngest prince was riding in the carriage this time, he opened the snuff-box and asked Seven Inches to be put back into his own clothes and princely appearance. Seven Inches obliged and said, I leave you now. Best of luck with your new bride and life of love. The prince arrived at the castle and the king was afraid to open the door. But the young prince emerged and was finally united in the arms of his own true love. Everyone assembled was delighted, except for the two elder brothers, who had finally been exposed for their impatience, treachery, and disloyalty. The three couples were finally married, and each bride wore the three crowns on her head, the crown of gold on the crown of silver, sitting in a crown of copper. Eventually, the elder couples moved away, and the youngest princess and her valiant, hard-fought husband remained in her father's castle. They stood to become the new king and queen. The blacksmith became a very rich man, and as for seven inches, he still sleeps in his snuff-box, ready to teach any prospective lovers about charity, honor, and loyalty. The End And that is the tale of Seven Inches and the Three Crowns. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah, different kind of structure with this story. This this is a tale that is all about its action and its swiftness. And this is why it really feels like a very Germanic, grim kind of tale. This is a real, like, this is a story where a once upon a time is really comes into forefront. Because once is the only word we need and we're swept entirely away. This is one of those tales um, that really fits or at least would try to fit the, the Philip Pullman idea of making a tale as clear as water. Despite that, probably because there's a huge amount of action in it, this was a trickier one to adapt. This was one that, because there was so much information within it and so many beats to it, this took um, a little bit more of a following along, especially because you have a detail like the three crowns, the three three crowns essentially so each crown is three crowns each like a trinity of crowns very much like uh, the morrigan or the father son and the holy spirit like the idea of three in one like the shamrock the crown of gold on the crown of silver within the crown of copper 
And so I wanted to try. And you've got you've got six lovers as well. You've got three couples, the two elder selfish ones and then the younger kind ones. So because there was all these kind of beats and 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 characters in it, this required just a kind of swift detail, but also to not get bogged down and kind of get on with it as well, because a huge amount happens. And this ended up almost being slightly longer. Um, the stories on Fireside usually average out, usually no less than 15 or 1600 words. And then sometimes some of the the myths, uh, some of the Grania whale tales uh, were closer to, to 3000 words. This is about uh, at about two thousand three hundred words, which is like a bit longer for some of the folk tales. Particularly, it'd be about the average length of one of the myths, which fits for this because I wanted this to have that uh, feel more like how the myths and the legends feel, um, with that sense of of swiftness and that grandeur and that epic quality of heroes going off on an adventure. I really like the well in this story. I like. I like how it comes about. I like the three princesses getting in the boat and seven inches, the, the remarkably named seven inches. I loved that. And he takes them away and then he carries them down this well. And wells have a huge place in Irish folklore. There's always a mystery to an old well. And if you're ever in the, the Irish Folklore Museum, the, the Leprechaun Museum, there's a wonderful room in that that has an enchanted well that you look down as this beautiful green light shine out in it. And I had that well in my mind as I pictured this well that this, the three princesses are lowered down into and their three lovers follow them afterwards. I like that the the prince believes that he's in Tirnano because... Again, there is definitely this transition to an other world because he almost feels like he comes out upside down if he enters down and lowers into a well but still ends up coming out onto land. Um, like, as it feels like if he came out the other way, the well would have to look... If he came out landing on his feet, it feels like the well would have to be eternally up and almost look like a, a pipe in a game of Mario. Um, so it feels like he comes out and still comes out as he would on the other side. So he is going into an underworld as such. like, And it is certainly an otherworld and may possibly be Tiernan Oak. But I like that we never get that confirmation as well. We just find this beautiful open daylight when this, this forest with this, these castles in them. A world that has little seven inch tall enchanters and giants and everything. But no necessary references to to the gods Um and so this may be, they may be just smaller, lesser beings that live in the world of the gods, or this might be another world entirely again. And so we have this this feast and these uh, at seven inches and his brothers being turned into statues. Uh, that's where it started to feel very Pan's Labyrinth-esque, a lighter touch on Pan's Labyrinth to me. Very Guillermo del Toro's take on fairy tales. Um, I, there was a bit more. I, I've, I've edited it slightly for the sense of the, the pace of it because when it gets going, it almost feels like the story's going to be over before it, it a lot sooner than it is because the three crowns themselves don't come in until quite late in the narrative. Um, they only come in kind of once, once the hero has already saved the day. And he gets these three crowns, these three crowns of three... And then we have this moment where they're they're going back up and it's the younger princess who doesn't trust the elder brothers and they come up with this weird idea to place a stone in the basket instead of the youngest brother. And 
that took a bit of clarifying in my head because that didn't really have any tech context in the version of the story I was adapting, which again was my from my Treasury of Irish Fairy and Folk Tales, which I'll put um, the link as always to the source in the description below. Beautiful book. And there's no context to why they make this plan, why they'd ask the prince, the last prince, to not go up at the end or why they plan for that to happen. And so it seems that it seemed that perhaps because his two elder brothers were the selfish and arrogant ones and that they had been saved, you know, they had been greedy at the feast and they had been turned into statues and it had been their younger brother who had saved their his elder brother's respective brides and that the youngest brother had saved them all and none of them would be there, that they might want him out of the picture so that that wouldn't get out, so that no one would ever know that they had been caught for their treachery and that they had not been honourable and that they had not saved the day because they had wanted to be the great heroes. And so then it also could be thought that it was a test to see would the older brothers abide by the dictates of seven inches in his little snuff box and wait for their younger brother to all so that all three couples could get married on the same day, all wearing the three crowns. And that to me made sense why the prince held on, the younger prince held on to his three crowns, the three crowns of his beloved, so that she would not be able to be married off to someone else because if she had held on to them, it seems like the, her elder siblings or even her father, the king, would have made her marry anyone who could have the three crowns, whereas the prince could hold on to them and always find a way back to his beloved as long as he had this this crown or these crowns, this trilogy, this trinity of crowns. And so when he finally does, he ends up working with this blacksmith and hears from this tailor that the, the wedding has tried to be happened quite hastily and swiftly. And he comes up with this elaborate plan then to get her back and to reveal in a huge way. Well, first of all, we get this this wedding where the princes fall through, the, where the floor comes out from under them and they fall down amongst the, the dead bodies and the coffins and the bride's gowns turn to mold and to cobweb, which is, again, a wonderfully Burton, Guillermo del Toro-esque image, which I adore. And so it proved that Seven Inches was right. And so ultimately, like, before we wrap up, it's like, who is Seven Inches and what is the purpose of Minute? That was another thing that was... Uh, trickier to figure out and it seemed like he was he was of course he was the beggar at the beginning and he was there to teach this idea of charity and nobility and chivalry but also he wanted to really prove how necessary that was and he wanted to save this youngest prince and the and the youngest daughter who had been the kind generous ones in very selfish households and so it seemed like the whole plan all along was that the youngest prince would get to sweep in and to really show up his elder brothers um, in front of everyone for their true character and so that ultimately he could inherit his new father-in-law's kingdom with his new bride and that made sense of the whole story for me and that made it quite a clear a clear through line and I hope you all felt that as well and hope you enjoyed the tale but I will wrap things up now um, that is so that is the tale of the three crowns let me know over on Instagram, what you thought, or um, at Fireside Bard, or you can, of course, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com with any thoughts. You can buy the book Garden Sea at uh, Head, Headstuff's website or on Kindle. All the links are in the description below. Thanks one more time to everyone who came along to the launch, especially to Christopher and to uh, Jessica. And um, 
Next week, we will have another folk tale before I head off to New Zealand, and then we'll see where the podcast will take us while we're on the road. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.